Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, uh, this is Lynn of Lynn and Jen. Let's talk about sex and we'll be having our sexual spotlight uh, this morning. And we're talking about an article that was just recently in uh, the Atlantic magazine. Why is Silicon Valley so awful to women by Liza Mundy? And uh, it's an interesting article and brings up a lot of applications about issues for women in the workplace. What do you have to say about it, Jen? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I You brought it to my attention, and I think it brings up a lot of really interesting talking points, so I'm happy to discuss it this morning. I think to start out for me and to make it relatively quick, uh, it was a surprise, or it's been a surprise, because I've, I've worked with a number of women from Silicon Valley to see all of the work-based issues and the discrimination and sexism that they've faced uh, working in that industry. And Working in the industry of medicine, I've always been aware of the fact it has a history of exclusion. Women have been denied benefits. Uh, uh, women have been de- denied positions. And women are still only a very small percentage of full professors in medical schools. So to see this in Silicon Valley, and uh, one of the statistics that stood out for me is that at Google, only 17% of the technical employees are women. And uh, in this time, I would have thought it would be very different. Well, it's very striking. I mean, I think why this is so interesting in terms of Silicon Valley for a lot of people is that Silicon Valley is really known as a place with a lot of progressives, a lot of hyper-educated people, as they say in this article. And a lot of these people talk about wanting to change the world. And so what was fascinating about this article is that you have all these people and you you think of these ideas, and obviously there are people who are trying to push forward things. But in Silicon Valley, they realized that they had this problem and they've spent, you know, millions of dollars yes. trying to improve things. And what this article says is, interestingly enough, what's being done hasn't changed things that much. Yes, and it really points to within our American work-based cultures how much the culture affects merit and position and promotion because you and I both talked about the idea that merit is seen culturally. So if merit is seen from certain male perspectives, then that's what is rewarded. Yeah, that's one of the things that's brought up as a discussion point in this article, I think, is, you know, what... What really constitutes merit and how can we look at merit differently? And as we've brought up before is this idea that, you know, I think merit is really seen as sort of still a more fact-based, more quote-unquote rational type thing, whereas there's a lot of merit to being able to connect people, being able to have the social skills to interact with different people. And I think that's often overlooked in terms of you know, that's not a part of merit. Yes. And, and one of the studies that this article brought out really showed that if you make it gender blind and you look at women's work, women are actually more likely to be hired in this area and they have many more skills. And uh, those studies are really interesting to read and again, point to the fact that there's a gender bias in this industry. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting too is this is a fairly new industry. And so it's really looking at why is it happening that even in this newer industry that's supposed to be so progressive, why is it that this sexism is still so apparent? One of the ideas that I found interesting from the perspective of being a psychiatrist, they talked about how this industry fetishizes, uses a fetish-like format for brilliance and merit. And when uh, an industry does that, or an academic profession, men benefit, because brilliance is seen as being more important rather than the work, the effort, and the other aspects you put into it. So brilliance is often more, more often attributed to men. And uh, this was, uh, you know, I've, I've felt this, but to hear this concept and really read it and see it laid out was helpful to me, very helpful. It, it gives a framework. And I think just to highlight what they mean by brilliance here is that brilliance is something innate rather than something, as you're talking about, where you can cultivate it. It's a skill. You know, it's something that's developed. It's, oh, some of these people have it, some don't. And those people are often men. That's the viewpoint, obviously. And work po- uh, workplace studies of women demonstrate that women are much less likely to embrace brilliance or genius, you know, and they are to, they minimize their skills. They don't say, Hey, I'm a genius here. I've really done all of this. They work in a more collaborative capacity. So it's really a different way of thinking about it. I agree with that somewhat. I would add to it that I think there are a lot of women who, if they were to take that sort of stance, like, look at what I've mm-hmm. done, that it's treated very differently. It's sort of, why are you, you know, why are you showing off? It's not seen as a way of promoting yourself. It's really a way of bragging and not giving credit and this very negative light of, why are you taking all the credit? Obviously, you worked with a team type of situation. That's uh, one of the things that was shocking about this uh, article, too, that uh, 88% of these women were, or 84% were told they were too aggressive. There's a, a study done, Elephant in the Valley, a survey about sexism, and uh, a group of women in an organization named Afterward conducted this study. And that was, uh, again, surprising. But you see uh, 88% of the women reported their behaviors and their actions, their work is questioned. 90% described their working setup as sexist. So you really see the high statistics of, of sexism in an industry and how these some of these belief systems and the overall culture reinforce it. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the interesting things from the article is that they were interviewing some of the women who had been in the field for a longer period of time And a lot of the women shared that, in a way, they see now that some of these things were very problematic for them. And yet they also bring up, you know, could I have advanced as far as I did if I had been more of a whistleblower about this? You know, that in some ways, in order to succeed in that kind of field, you have to stay quiet. You have to just go along with things as they are. And I think... That's something that people encounter in all kind of sexist areas is how much do you stand out versus how much do you focus on advancing your own um, career so that maybe you can then have more influence to help people down the line. Yeah. 
Well, this is something we should talk more about in a, a longer podcast. Um, it being in the field of medicine, having sued the university where I worked, um, I think there's always a balance between working cooperatively for women and being the whistleblower and coming forward. And it's really how you balance those two go back and forth. But it puts the onus on women to really do this in their career. And that is, uh, it's difficult and it's challenging. It's difficult, it's challenging. And a, another thing that comes up is very interesting. It was only maybe like a couple lines in this article, but one of the women talked about how um, one of her male colleagues had brought up that he was very angry at the fact that, you know, they were in a meeting and questions that were more in her area were being directed at him. And instead of sort of being able to challenge that and say, yeah, you're right, you know, mm -hmm. like we should be angry <laughs> about this, she spent some time trying to silence him in order to move their shared agenda forward. And so I think it brings up a very complex thing of when do you speak out? You know, when, when do you hold back? And because speaking out in many situations can hold you back in your own personal career. Absolutely. And just again, back to that balance. Well, I'd encourage anyone who's interested in this subject to really listen or to communicate back with us really about this uh, agenda in Silicon Valley and what can be done to change it. Uh, the article has a lot about bias and how to address bias. There's a lot more than we've talked about, but it's really very thought-provoking. Well, I think maybe let's spend just even a tiny bit of time talking about that bias, because I think it's another interesting thing that's brought up in the article is that tons of money is being spent to do these, um, what are they called? Unconscious <laughs> bias trainings, I think is the technical they term. They are, they are. It, yeah. it reminded me of the money years ago spent in the medical systems to kind of reduce bias, but now it's much more sophisticated to really work on preventing workplace bias. And the one of the issues is sometimes if you over-address it, you normalize it, and then the bias exists more extensively within that setting. So it's a trick. Um, I've always thought that you really need to teach women the tools to address bias, much in the way that we were talking about the balance issue. Yes, absolutely. And I think highlighting exactly what you said there, which mm -hmm. is so important, is that if you normalize this bias, mm -hmm. there is a chance that people either look at it and go, well, that's how it is, too bad, or that they go, oh, okay, other people feel this bias too, so it's mm -hmm. fine. And I think it brought up an interesting point, which is that in some ways, stigmatization about some of the more negative behaviors is one of the ways we curb these behaviors. Exactly. No, I think that's a very good point, Jen. And then other strategies women have is one, the balance between being whistleblower and being quiet and strategic and maneuvering. The other is using legal advice when you're up against direct sexism. You know, I really think you have to consider that organizations and studies and articles like this very helpful in addressing these problems. I think also women being able to piggyback on other women so that you amplify <laughs> other women's voices, you know, so you you don't run into the same, oh, you're just trying to do this for yourself, but really women supporting other women and men supporting women. I couldn't agree more with that, Jen. 
again, thank you for this conversation. And the article again is Why is Silicon Valley so awful to women? Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcasts at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers.